0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here on WDAY. Good afternoon, Natil.
1: Oh, it would be a better afternoon if it wasn't, you know, 25 below with the wind chill.
0: Oh, you guys are getting off easy. It's like 40 below up here.
1: Yeah, well, the winds haven't quite gotten to us yet. Oh,
0: it is. It is miserable outside.
1: I don't even want to go out there. I'm scared.
0: I know. (laughs) I I just, it's so, it's. It's cold. I, I shouldn't be this tired of winter in uh, in January. In January. We had it to... so
1: easy for so many years, and now it's like a normal winter out there, and we've all forgotten what it's, what we to got, do.
0: We got a couple of months to get through. It sounds like it's going to be warming up here soon, though.
1: This weekend. Poor... Yeah, yeah the,
0: this weekend and next week, it sounds like it's going to be. It's, it's, it's hard for me to describe to people who don't live in North Dakota what 16 above feels like when it's been 16 below, you know? Uh, you know you, you don't realize that, that is a 32 degree increase the, right? the that, only, that is a that is a 100 percent increase right is that a hundred percent increase i don't know the, the it's a big way, increase yeah
1: the only way that i can describe it because i have friends that live in florida several friends that live in florida and i have to sort of describe it to them as be as being like well it, it's like if it was 60 degrees one day and then 90 the next
0: a friend of mine posted on facebook a picture of a of an alert that they got in a rental car out somewhere, and it was a low temperature alert on the little, you know, dash dash screen or what computer screen on on the dash in the in the car, and the outside temperature was thirty six degrees.
1: And they got a low temperature. And it warning. was a low
0: temperature. <laughs> I, I, I can't even imagine uh, that car would like be setting off, you know, klaxon sirens if it was in North Dakota. <laughs> they must not even sell that model here. I, I don't know how they could. <laughs> you you with,
1: can't possibly. <laughs>
0: 36 degrees. There are people in North Dakota right now who would give a kidney for 36 degrees.
1: I'm one of them. Because you know what would what would make my life a lot easier? If it was above freezing so that my dog would actually do his business outside without yeah. having to, like, we have to go back and forth between the outside and our little, like, entryway several times. Because yeah. we get out there and he's like, no, it's too cold. And then he'll lay down nope. and tuck his feet up underneath him.
0: <laughs> nope, not doing it. Uh. All right. Well, 701-293-9000, if you want to join the program, 888-970-9329 is a toll-free number. Email talk at WDAY.com. Coming up at 1.30, going to have Governor Doug Burgum on the program. We're going to talk with him. And, you know, one thing I'm going to ask him about is uh, there's legislation that would limit bonuses to members of the governor's staff and and cabinet. Uh, It would be appointees and staff. Uh, it would limit those bonuses to no more than $5,000 a year. Uh it's 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 a percentage of the salary, right? So it can't be any more than a certain I think it's like 10% of the salary or 5 $5,000 a year, whatever's whatever's lower. Um so no more than 5,000. That's that's the maximum cap if this legislation passes. And obviously it's a response to uh 2015 you know, right around the time that Governor Jack Dalrymple announced that he would not be running for another term in office, he gave out almost uh, r- roughly around $100,000 in bonuses to five members of his staff. Um, and the justification for those bonuses was that they wanted to keep those people around. Because obviously... If, if, if you're working in the governor's cabinet, you're somebody with a pretty good resume, right? You're somebody who could probably is not going to have a lot of problems finding a job somewhere else because these are well-educated, experienced people. And, hey, working for the governor is, you know, a, a pretty good line item on your resume. Uh, so the idea was that the governor gave them these bonuses to keep them in place. Through the end of his term, because obviously the governor says I'm not running again. You've got a new governor coming in. You don't know whether or not that governor is going to want to keep you. He wanted to keep those people on their job rather than have them go out. And he has to spend the last year of his office, his last year in office, with a bunch of people who are, are newcomers and are, are trying to learn that position. So on the face, it made sense. I think a lot of people, including me, felt that the bonuses that Dalrymple gave out back in 2015 were egregious. Uh, I, you know, I I think that's right. I, I you know, a hundred thousand dollars. It seems egregious. There was a clawback, a clause that was actually exercised for one of Dalrymple's policy advisors who went off in, and and uh, went to work somewhere else in the private sector, um, and they clawed back a portion of that that bonus, um, prorated. I think. Uh, so, I don't know. I, the legislature, you know, obviously. Dalrymple didn't handle that very well, and it got out to the public, and he got a lot of he got a lot of criticism over it. So now the legislature is going to come in and say no more than five thousand dollars per person. And while I am the biggest, you know, I'm I'm a big fiscal conservative. I am all about saving the taxpayers' dollars. I'm just not sure if the legislature should be dictating to the governor how he should spend his budget. You know the, the legislature already sets that budget, right? the The legislature already makes an appropriation for the governor's office, right? So the governor already cannot spend on salary any more than what the legislature any more than what the legislature appropriates. Um, I, the reason why Dalrymple had that money for bonuses is they had some cost savings somewhere else in their budget. I think I think they had a, a position they decided not to fill. Uh, and then they had some other cost savings elsewhere in the budget, and they use that money. Basically, they found room in their budget to make it happen. Um, I don't think I don't think the legislature should be coming in and telling the legis- you know the executive branch if you get creative with your budget and create some room in your budget that you can't hand out some bonuses. Now I, I, I say that I, I understand people's reactions to Governor Downrumpel's budgets, former Governor Downrumpel's uh, uh, bonuses. Excuse me. I, I understand that completely, and I agree with it. I think they were egregious. I just don't know if the legislature should be telling, if the legislature should be putting a cap on it. I, I don't think that every every situation like that demands a legislative fix. Um, you know, obviously, pay for public officials is open record. Obviously, Dalrymple's bonuses uh, became public knowledge. It was pretty widely well known. It was widely reported. So why do we need the law? I mean, it seems to me that the voters could judge. The people could judge whether or not they think that sort of thing is appropriate. uh, And governors can make decisions accordingly, you know, especially when, you know, it's, it's not like the governor is pulling from an unlimited pot of money. Again, the legislature already controls the budget for the governor's office. They already control the total appropriation. Uh, you know, I, I think once the legislature makes that appropriation, I think it's fine to leave the governor or, frankly, any other statewide office holder, uh, if they can rejigger their budget and move things around and, and create some some space in their budget for something that they want to do. As long as they're not violating legislative intent by taking money that the legislature intended to be spent one way and spending it another way, uh, more power to them. I, I don't see what the problem is. What do you think? 701 970 9329 I'd love to hear what you think about it. Um, because that's... I, I, I don't know. I i, I generally think... I, I think sometimes something happens and it gets a lot of attention. You know, there's a political scale. There's something... And so we get into this This there-ought-to-be-a-law mode. And I, I think that's what we're doing with these bonuses a little bit. I, I, I think we're kind of in... You know, this is the legislature saying, well, there ought to be a law. Um, and by the way, Republicans sponsoring this legislature or uh, this legislation, it's actually uh, House Majority Leader Al Carlson's legislation. So, you know, this is Republicans responding to something that a Republican governor did that raised a lot of eyebrows. I, I think that impulse is very, very healthy for North Dakota Republicans. I think it's probably part of the reason why they've been able to stay in power for so long in such dominating numbers is because they do, you know, sort of reflexively hold one another accountable, despite maybe what, what some partisan people among Democrats or, or left-wing people or whatever out there may think. I think North Dakota Republicans probably do a pretty good job with accountability, even with a supermajority. But this one, I don't know. I, I feel like if the governor wants to give out some bonuses and, and he could find room in his budget to, to give them out, you know, that's up to the governor. And if, if we don't like it, you know, like like with Governor Dalrymple, if we don't like it, the public can make their, their opinions known about it and vote accordingly. Sometimes I, I think it's, sometimes I don't think we need legislation for every issue. I guess that's my point. What do you think? 701 293 9000 888 970 9329. Talk at wday.com. Like I said, I'm going to ask Governor Burgum about that. And if you have any comments or questions you'd like to get in uh, for Governor Burgum, you can certainly call in now. Phones are open. Uh, we'll get to them. Uh, you know, you can call certainly while well, the g- governor's on or, uh you know, call ahead of time and I'll make sure they get asked. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Port here on WDAY seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Governor Doug Burgum's going to be on here at uh, one thirty next segment, so stay tuned for that. Um, you know, talking about the, um, I, I just I just wrote my Sunday newspaper column. Uh, my my deadline was uh, earlier today, and it. My my, the theme of my column was that the legislature's been a little bit embarrassing so far, and I, I say that as a Republican and a conservative. It's been a little bit embarrassing, and you know some of the reason why it's it's not, it's not stuff like the time zone bill or whatever. And you got the you got the cranks out there who think, oh, you know, you're wasting everybody's time. You know, like a, a, as if the legislative process wasn't specifically designed to be. To, to, to have to float ideas like that. I mean, that's why we have it. That's why it's an open process. If you don't like the idea, then urge your people to uh, your legislators to vote against it. Uh, but I don't think it's a waste of time. Well, what does upset me? I mean, there, there were three incidents which upset me. Um, one was the grumbling about, you know, what Doug Burgum wears, which, by the way, I was tweeting Doug, telling him he better be dressed up as a tuxi- in a tuxedo for uh, for our interview. Uh, but I, I guess there were lawmakers, you know, there are rules at the legislature, you know, for, for a dress code for legislators. And, for instance, for men, you know, they have to wear a, a, a coat and a, a tie and they have to wear a suit and a tie. Um, you know, Burgum, on the other hand, you know, likes to wear jeans in that. And I guess there were some legislators grumbling about it, which I don't understand at all. I mean, North Dakota is a state that doesn't like pretense. Right. North Dakota doesn't like pretension. So. You know the idea that that legislators are upset because Burgum's wearing jeans. I mean, I, I think most people in in the public in North Dakota hear that their governor's wearing jeans and they they like it. You know, if they if, if if they're not outright ambivalent about it, then they probably actively like it. So I don't understand that. Uh, the vote in the state senate earlier this week, uh, where we're not going to amend state statute to gender neutral language. Uh, where marriage is mentioned right because there's a lot of different places in the statute where the legal concept of of marriage is mentioned and currently those are all formulated for what is the definition in our state constitution thanks to a 2004 ballot measure which is that marriage is between a man and a woman so the uh, you know the idea was obviously same sex marriage is legal now love it or hate it and same sex marriages are happening all over our state now, uh, which I think is great. But the legislature, you know, so, so there was a bill and it would have just changed that language in the code to, to recognize it would have been gender neutral. So just to recognize that marriages in North Dakota, like every other state in the union now, could be any combination of man and woman, man, man, woman, woman. Those are, the you know, so the language would have been gender neutral and the state Senate voted it down and they voted it down and the excuse was is because they didn't want to have they didn't want to have in statute a definition of marriage which conflicted with uh which which conflicted with the state constitution the problem is the statute wouldn't have redefined it right moving the language in the law which is referring to a marriage to make it gender neutral instead of referring to a he and she is not redefining anything. You know, frankly, I, I I think we ought to get rid of the language in the state constitution. It's been invalidated by the courts, and you know I don't think that's ever going to be overturned. And if it is, then I guess we can have another vote on it. But honestly, I think these days, I think if you put it to a statewide vote, I think most North Dakotans would probably, the majority, support same sex marriage, and I think that's only going to get more so as time goes on. So for the legislature to vote down something that ultimately would change nothing on the ground, would have changed absolutely nothing in terms of how marriages are conducted in North Dakota, because today we're conducting them, you know, in accordance with the reality of of legal same-sex marriage. They voted it down, and it, it looked petty and small and embarrassing. That's what I thought. And then on top of it, you add in this pornography bill, which, you know, obviously we had, we had the activist who was uh, promoting that. And, and I guess he's promoting it in a bunch of other states. He was on the show yesterday um, as the bill was being withdrawn in the legislature. But the fact that that bill was even filed is embarrassing. I mean, the, the, the fact that, that a bill, you know, to, to, to require the censorship of our Internet access to treat every internet-connected device in North Dakota as a pornography vending machine? The fact that that bill got filed, I'm sorry, is embarrassing. And oh, by the way, the guy we had on the radio yesterday, Natiel get this. Sued Apple because the company didn't sufficiently protect him from his own porn addiction. Filed oh. a lawsuit against Apple. Okay. so he filed, he filed a lawsuit against President Barack Obama when they suspended Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty. I'm not kidding. I mean, he so,
1: he so this guy this guy is clinically
0: insane. He tried, well, I don't I don't know if he is or not, but he tried he sure to marry sounds like it. He tried to marry his own computer as a protest against same-sex marriage, I guess, saying, uh, oh, it would be so crazy if if we uh, I'll allow you know loving same-sex couples to marry one another, then I guess crazy people are going to try to marry their computers. Which, frankly, if you want to have a civil ceremony and marry your Dell desktop computer, go right ahead. It doesn't hurt me. I don't care, right? I hope you're happy.
1: <laughs> and it certainly, it certainly wouldn't have any effect on the sanctity of my marriage because yeah. you know. The, that's that's one of the things that that always sort of gets me when people bring up this idea of same sex marriages uh, detracting from the sanctity of their own marriage we We call it marriage because that's what it's called in law. The point of same sex marriages isn't to force churches to perform these marriages and make them equal in God's eye with yours. It's to make them equal in the law's eyes with everybody else that gets to enter into the legal partnership and the benefits that come with having that that yeah, certificate so
0: so, so here, here's what i don't understand about the stick in the mud people who are upset about same-sex marriage because a lot of those same people argue a lot in favor of religious liberty which which frankly although i'm an atheist that's something i very much believe in i i think americans should be as free as possible to live their lives in accordance with their own conscience right so those people, they want religious liberty, and they want to be able as a, as a business owner to say, I don't want to pay for contraceptive health insurance coverage or whatever. They want all that stuff, which is fine. I, I don't think they should have to. I don't think the law should compel them to do something that violates their conscience. But on the flip side, they then want to outlaw same-sex marriage. And so what I'm thinking is if, if you're a member of a Christian church or a Jewish synagogue or, or some strain of religion that – believes that the marital union includes same-sex couples right what right does the state has to step in and say those marriages aren't sanctioned i mean to me that is also a religious liberty issue in addition to being a freedom of association issue and everything else you know if if same-sex couples want to get married in their churches what right does the state of north dakota have saying that doesn't meet our definition no right at all uh, you know it, it makes the people opposing it hypocritical and, and again that vote in the state senate earlier this week small petty ridiculous i think 701 293 governor doug Burgum coming up next don't go away North Carolina, staring up the road pray to god i see lights back Rob Horton here on WDAY in a moment going to be joined uh, by Governor Doug Burgum if you want to uh, get your calls or questions in 701-293-9000-888-9709329 is the toll-free number you can also email me talk at WDAY.com and let's go to uh, our governor who's a very busy man Uh, Mr. Burgum how are you Great, Rob. How are you today? Doing pretty good. Uh, I I just wanted to make sure, are you you dressed up? I was hoping you were wearing a tuxedo for our radio interview today.
2: Well, actually, I was uh, shopping around trying to find a clown suit to wear, and I couldn't get one before this morning, but I was uh, hoping maybe I can wear that someday.
0: No wow well, well I no, I think uh, I think North Dakotans appreciate your uh down to earth uh apparel i although i i couldn't I didn't think that we would be discussing uh gubernatorial fashion trends at the uh, the early going of the session.
2: hey, I wanted to ask you well, uh I was gonna say uh, on that note i told I told people if I thought it would uh, lower the cost of government, make it more efficient if a, if wearing a tie did that, I'd wear two or three of them but
0: <laughs> well, that's that's great. Hey, I, I wanted to ask you, I, I, I was just reading, uh, passed out a committee today. There's legislation in the state house to limit uh, bonuses for, you know, personnel in, in the governor's office. Uh, your predecessor, Governor Dalrymple, sort of raised some eyebrows with some, about $100,000 in bonuses he gave out to, uh, to members of his staff. Uh, the house legislation would limit it to no more than $5,000 per year. Uh, what do you make of that legislation
2: well i think it's a natural reaction for you know any legislature to come in and say hey there's something we didn't like or we heard from our constituents we didn't like it uh, you know I, I heard it from people when i was campaigning it's natural to come in and say hey let's figure out a way to put a a uh, a a you know some constraint or a cap on you know some behavior that we didn't like from a prior administration so i get that that's a natural thing but in terms of you know, how I think about it in terms of trying to reinvent government, what I would be trying to solve is not, you know, looking at at things from the past. I'd be saying going forward, you know, what are the tools we need to bring in from the private sector to help all of our agency heads have the tools they need to attract, uh, retain, motivate uh the very best talent we can because government the biggest cost in government's people and and part of the part of that is because we got to have really strong leaders uh that know how to build efficient organizations in an era of rapid change and in an era of new technology and so i i think any time that we you know limit an agency head's ability to uh you know get and retain the very best talent it's you know it creates a constraint uh, on uh in the end, in the end on the success of government so you know maybe it's you know, it solves one problem but creates another one. I'm not going to stress over it too much because I, I you know, feel like there are a lot of constraints in operating in government, and uh, I just hope the legislature doesn't want to keep adding more. I think, we, you know, we should be trying to move towards a period of going to less regulation, not more, and we want to have empowerment. It's like we want to empower, uh, you know, local decision makers at the local level to build smart, efficient communities. We want to empower agency heads to build smart, efficient agencies, and so that's that's what I want to I want to focus on incentives uh, to get people to, you know, do the right thing as opposed to, you know, these sort of micromanaging uh, little handcuffs that might prevent, you know, a repeating of a past error, but not, not anything that I, I think really gets us in the – doesn't really send us in the direction we need uh, to build the, you know, exceptional state government.
0: You know, that was, that was my reaction, too. I mean, pay for state officials is, is public record uh, you'll make your, your choices with your office's budget and you can make your case for why those are the good decisions for the public and the public can think what it wants to think of it. And I guess vote accordingly. I mean, it, it seems like there's plenty of accountability there. And besides the legislature already set your overall office budget anyway. So it's not like you've got some bottomless pot of money somewhere that, that you could run out of control with. The legislature's already setting the overall budget. If you could find room in there, I don't understand why we wouldn't want to leave your office with some flexibility and you know, if you do something the public doesn't like, I'm sure the public will let you know about it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're, 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 you're completely right, uh, Rob, about the point on flexibility, because one of the things that my and my team has been learning uh, the last month when we've been doing all the you know agency reviews and looking for additional cost-cutting opportunities at the agency level is that a lot of the, the savings opportunities for the state of North Dakota and a lot of the reinvention opportunities don't exist within a single agency. They exist when we can have a cross-cutting initiative that would cut across a dozen or more agencies. I mean, think about, you know, we talk about addiction, you know, and how that fits, you know, health and behavioral health, and it fits the, you know, criminal justice, it fits corrections and rehab, and, and on and on and on. There's so many agencies where that touches. But if we're if we're taking each silo, which is the way we do budgeting today, we do budgeting by a silo and we squash those down, and then there's no fungibility or no ability to move, Resources across those those silos, then you know it's going to be uh, it creates another constraint on on actually optimizing for the best solutions. And you know we'll, we'll we'll identify the constraints and work around them. But I'd say that's where the real the real gains are going to come in the next you know years ahead is uh, on cross-cutting initiatives because when these silos were created, they didn't anticipate you know the growth of government programs and lots of people across lots of different silos have got touch on. You know, different age group. Take youth. Take kids under age six. I mean, these things show up in half a dozen different places, and we need we need leaders and we need strategies uh, that that create a solution. So we want to optimize solutions as opposed to optimize for agencies.
0: Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand. If you want to join the program, eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Having a conversation with our governor Doug Burgum. Uh, property taxes. During your state of the state address, I, I thought it was really exciting. You said we've got to stop. The, uh, the property tax buy downs uh, we've got to find an off-ramp for them and, and I, I guess what I was wondering is how do we how do we do that because it, it, to me it, it seems like a sticky wicket because the legislature has been trying to buy down local property taxes by basically either shifting local spending into the state budget or just outright just outright giving local taxing entities money uh in, in exchange for uh, you know, buy downs of of, of the property tax levy. So if if the state ends that, aren't we putting ourselves in a position for some pretty big property tax hikes at the local level? I mean, how, how do we, econ- because I agree with you, we got to do it. What we're doing now is unsustainable. How do we get there?
2: Well, I think you're, you're, it is, as you say, a sticky wicket. It is a challenge because we're in this spot. We're in a predicament. How do we get ourselves out of it? But let me just start by saying, uh, the, the legislature has, has made some, you know, really significant strides in lowering the local cost of government, you know, over the last uh, four sessions. And one of the primary ways they've done it has been increasing the percentage of the state pays of, of local school funding. I mean, with the formula now going up to about 80 percent of local schools paid by the state, you know, that's reduced uh, by some estimates. It's taken the local property taxes down by billions and so we're, you know, so I, I want to make, make sure everyone understands the legislature's done a great job of taking the new wealth coming into North Dakota and using it to lower property taxes. Uh, what's remaining, you know, after all these years of great work of lowering property taxes is this, is this specific concept called the, the uh, 12% buy down or the three, it about, was about $300 million set aside for that. Uh, and there's issues with that. If you, if you say to, to a local government, we're going to, whatever your taxes are, we'll take it down by 12%. Uh, they're almost incentivized to grow that number because the more they grow, the more they grow their local taxes, the bigger the the, the uh, check they get from the state government. So it's you know it's going to be an ever-growing, unsustainable thing uh, doing that. And then the other piece is where does where that three hundred million dollars come from? Well, it's coming from you know oil and gas revenues. So we're basically taking taxes out of one pocket, and putting in another. And I like to get at the the underlying cost, and the underlying cost of property taxes has to do you know, with schools and with infrastructure, and part of that is the combination of those two things in many of our metro areas. The the, the school, the new school building on the edge of town is one of the biggest drivers of driving up infrastructure costs and creating unsustainable neighborhoods from from a property taxes. There are not enough taxes being generated in the new growth to pay for the cost of maintaining the infrastructure, whether it's the fire tower, the fire station, is a fire tower the water tower the fire station the police station the cruisers in this winter i think everybody understands what the cost of snow removal is when we add you know miles and miles of streets so that's the thing we have to get back is the root cause of of property taxes are local decisions and so the state shouldn't be subsidizing local decisions local local officials should be held accountable and local officials should understand the economics of the decisions they're making so that's that's the end thing. So in terms of off-ramps, I mean, there is an idea about the state taking over uh, county social services is one idea. I've said in the state of the state, if people have other ideas, let's get them on the table and start talking about them.
0: We've got a uh, caller, PJ, who's got a question for the governor. Go ahead, PJ. Well, first of all, uh, congratulations on the uh, winning the election. Uh, we're excited to see what you can do for us North Dakotans. Um, my question is, we've we've got a lot of volunteer departments out here for fire and uh, rescue departments. Uh, I personally am involved in one very heavily. Uh, we're trying to get more recruits and we're always battling with the fact that we're right along the river. So our first responders can go across the river and get benefits to where North Dakota doesn't provide benefits for their first responders. I've brought this up to our representatives and to a Senator, and they they haven't really been able to do much for us, but I was wondering, is there any way we can get a ball rolling on trying to develop some benefits for our first responders?
2: Well, first of all, just let me say thank you for your your service and and what you're doing because uh, you know local volunteer fire departments and first responders are the you know the backbone of this stuff. I know my my brother who's uh, who's passed away a few years ago was one of the Folks that helped uh, launch and found the uh, Castleton Ambulance Service, uh, you know, so I've got you know personal family experience of understanding what this means to people, uh, you know, in the regions that they serve. So thank you for that. And then, and secondly, again, we do have a demographic problem. We've got a lot of people involved. Uh, you know, when uh, you know when they founded that like in Castleton, founded that service 30 years ago, everybody was young. Now you've got a lot of people that are reaching. Uh, retirement age or maybe they, they're not around in the wintertime uh, and we haven't been able to replace them. And so that's moving a lot of these places to more full-time employees. And when people move to full-time, they get, they get benefits. I think we do need to look at the incentives that we put in place for the volunteer uh, component, because uh, again, with our large geography and small population, uh, the most cost-effective way for us to handle this is going to be through maintaining some of these, rural, the uh, volunteer the volunteer capacity, it's great skill sets, great leadership to have in a community. And I think we have to, you know, again, look at that human resources pipeline because the demographic bubble is uh, there's a lot more people now that are near retirement than they are at the beginning of their career. And and if we look out 10 years, we could really have a shortage of uh, of volunteers.
0: The, PJ, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. have just a few minutes left with uh, our governor, Doug Burgum. Uh, Governor Rigger, I, I I know over the years one thing that that you have talked about pretty passionately has been uh, marriage equality, uh, and obviously that that's an issue that's been settled for our nation by the U.S. Supreme Court, which is has ruled that same-sex marriage is legal. Uh, but earlier last earlier this week, we had the state Senate vote saying that that they're not going to move. Uh, it, it was legislation that would have moved our our language and statute to to gender-neutral language. What do you make of that vote? Were you disappointed in it? Well, I think it's it's uh,
2: you know politics at play, and they say all politics is local. But you know, we, there were you know some local elections in North Dakota last year in uh, the western part of the state where you know legislators that had voted for uh, language that supported uh, you know that was supportive of the you know I guess twenty two seventy nine you know the Sexual orientation bill, uh, you know, they lost they they lost their their races. So I think there are people that are, you know, looking ahead to a re-election and say, hey, I'm I'm voting this way because this is what my this is the way my people would vote, and that's that's what they should do as representatives. And I think that's a uh, a you know that's a, that's a reality. Uh, but this is a, again, you know, it is the law of the land. You know, the bill that was on the table was simple cleanup language. You know, thing when I say simple cleanup, it would just change. Gender-specific terms like "man" and "woman" to "spouse" uh, didn't change; wouldn't have changed anything. Wouldn't have changed the law. Wouldn't have changed anything related to, you know, religious freedom. And, and it's uh, so again something that I guess people don't have. Don't maybe I guess some of the folks that voted against it felt it didn't wasn't necessary because it didn't change anything in terms of opportunities that people have. Uh, it, maybe they voted for it because of re-election, voted against it, voted against it because of reelection concerns, but we did have some people that voted for it. And I, I think those are people that have, uh, you know, had the courage to stand up and say, uh, you know, Hey, this is, uh, this is the law of the land and North Dakota should, uh, at least symbolically, you know, indicate that we acknowledge that it's the law of the land, uh, and do that. But it, you know, from a practical matter, again, uh, not a cost item in the budget. It doesn't, uh, not going to change anybody's rights or freedoms in the state so it was it was uh, only it was purely symbolic a purely symbolic vote and and we we saw the saw the result
0: uh, one last question from an emailer. Joe asks, uh, being a businessman regarding about North Dakota energy potential with wind energy, for example, and the primary blockade to this massive money maker of the state being transmission and storage capacity uh, that private businesses will not pay for that capacity, isn't this an opportunity for state funds and our bank to build a transmit to build transmission capacity? Up and then rent that capacity to energy companies and make some money for us. So I I think talking about maybe state owned transmission wires that we could then use to, I I guess, facilitate the build out of, say, wind power and and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, this is, I haven't been in any specific presentations on this topic, but I certainly understand the concept. And it would be, you know, right now transmission lines are a regulated uh, function. So they, you know, they get to, you know, recover their costs based on prices that we control through regulation. So I I think it's, you know, in some ways more efficient to get the private sector to spend their capital and then we regulate uh, their returns versus us using our capital. I don't know that there's been a capital shortage relative to that. I think as we continue to build out wind capacity in the state that, you know, the transmission into the grid is going to be uh, you know, be be a factor. But we got to remember when we're talking about wind, we got to talk about baseload. It means some of the most efficient uh, wind farms in the state of North Dakota are are only, uh, uh, you know, operate, they operate less than 50% of the time over the course of an entire year. And most of us, you know, need electricity, certainly commercial entities, you know, need it 24 hours a day. So we've got to have the right combination of incenting that baseload activity along with the, the renewables like wind. And, and then we have to, uh, you know, it's an export for us right now. We're producing more energy today in North Dakota from an electricity standpoint than we're consuming. And so there are some big, big uh, transmission lines like CapEx 2020 that go down to the Twin Cities that I know they can string more wires on that existing infrastructure in terms of export capacity. So there, you know, I, I think there are things that we can do to add to our, our transmission capacity without siting and building new lines just by stringing more wires on some of the existing stuff.
0: Well, Governor Burger, we're out of time. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time, and uh, stay warm out there. Holy smokes, it's cold.
2: We'll do that. And, Rob, just one thing, always great to be on your show, but also, uh, you know, give a shout-out, I had a chance to get down to Morton County yesterday, and I had a great uh, uh, listening session for over two hours with uh, 50 uh, ranch and farming families from southern Morton County. Wonderful. And, uh, you know, want, want all of them to know that uh, we're uh, – you know, we're behind them and, and uh, have passed on their appreciation for all the great work that law enforcement uh, and uh, National Guard's been doing uh, during the, the challenging situation we've been in the last five, six months.
0: Well, that's been wonderful. seems like we're making progress. Thanks again, Doug, for your time. More to come straight ahead here on the Rob Report. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Port here on WDAY, 701-293-9000, 888 We're pretty much going to wrap it up because uh, we spent all our time with uh, Governor Burgum. But, hey, I think when the governor comes on, we want to we wanna hear from him. Coming up uh, on the Jay Thomas Show, you know, honestly, I don't know what's coming up on the Jay Thomas Show. Normally he tells me, he told me something, He's, he had something coming on, and then I forgot all about it. Stuff will be coming up in the
1: studio, so I can't ask him.
0: (laughs) Stuff will be coming up on the Jay Thomas show later today. I guarantee you. I think he's going to talk more about the time zone stuff. He's really worked up about that time zone thing. Oh, goodness. Maybe he'll talk more about that. We'll talk with him, or he'll talk about that next hour. Remember, you can catch me here 1 to 2 p.m., Monday through Friday, or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.